Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Welcome everyone to Grace Church this morning. I'm Pastor Tom. I'm one of the two pastors here at Grace Church. The other is Pastor Fred, who's chugging his tea in the back at the moment. Welcome to a beautiful September day. My son was on the drive over here this morning. He's like, it's so beautiful outside. There's birds. And he had his window open, and my girls are all shivering in the car. And I'm just like, yeah, you're, you're going to be warm-blooded like me. We're continuing our series on 1 Peter today. I titled today's message, Grow Up. How many of you have grown up? Anybody in here grown up? I see like a few of us have grown up, right? I remember the moment I grew up. I don't know if that rings a bell. When I was young, I was full of energy and life and vigor, and my older brother hit his teenage years and had no energy, no life, and no vigor. He would just sleep, hang out with his friends, and take naps. That was it. I remember looking at him as about a 12-year-old going, never. I will never be old and boring like that. So far, I've succeeded, actually. Um, But it was like a choice I made. I'm not going to grow up and be like him. And I remember as I grew older, 14, 15, 16, I always hung out with the kids. I never wanted to hang out with the old, boring people. And I remember when I was 16, my dad had told me, all right, you've got your driver's license. I will pay for your insurance until you get into a car accident or get a ticket. If one of those two things happens, you're on your own. You have to pay for your own insurance. And I thought, cool, I'm going to milk this as long as I can and live the kid life for as long as possible. And that worked really well till I ran a red light and got T-boned by a car coming the other direction. Totally my fault. Totaled his car, and my pickup truck was just fine. But I remember thinking in that moment, they gave me my ticket, and in that instant, I realized I need to grow up. I realized I needed to go, quit being a kid, get a job, and actually start acting like a big kid, like a grown-up. And that's kind of funny to me, looking back on it, because like 16 isn't real grown-up. I don't know if we have anyone under 16 here today. Not real grown-up, but I remember in my mind feeling sad that I had to grow up, because I liked being a kid. The reality is, Being a grown-up is actually pretty awesome. I don't know if you guys have met my kids yet. Being a dad, super better than being a kid. Way better. Being grown-up, I get to experience all kinds of joys and satisfaction in life that I didn't know when I was a child. And I don't know if you guys have ever met like a full-blown man-child in life. Someone who's in their like 20s or 30s, or 40s, who still just wants to be a 16-year-old? Nah, no, 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 not me, Noodle. (laughs) You know, when you point a finger at somebody, three fingers point back at you. So, But like a man-child, somebody that needs to be taken care of, they won't take responsibility for themselves. They are only out for quick gratification and avoid all of the hardship of life and being an adult. And those people, on the outside, they seem like they're having a lot of fun, but on the inside, they're really shallow, 
and they really aren't living a very full life. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to grow up spiritually, to grow up in the Lord. And all of us have a lot of growing up to do. Even us old guys, I'm like 38, so I'm old to some of you and young to others. Even us old guys have a lot of growing up to do because the way God defines maturity in a lot of ways is something we can always grow in. Why don't we pray? And we're going to talk about what we're teaching today and dive into some verses. So let's bow our heads. Lord God, just thank you like we were singing. Lord, you are great. God, the fact that you came, you died for our sins and rose again, and someday you're going to come again and take those who believe to be with you in glory forever. God, it's so amazing. It's so big, I have a hard time understanding it or comprehending it, but we just thank you for those truths today. Thank you that while we are here on this earth, you've left us here for a purpose and a reason to know you and to help others to know you, to grow, to be more like Christ. God, I just pray today as we're talking, as we're looking at this section out of 1 Peter we're studying, Lord, that you would be encouraging our hearts, helping us not to feel like I did when I was a 16-year-old and be sad we have to grow up, but Lord, instead that our hearts would desire it, God, that we would long to be like you, long to grow into all that you have for us. So just be speaking today, help our hearts to be tender and soft, help us to set aside the distractions in our hearts today. And help us to want to draw close to you and hear what you have for us through your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, we're going to today continue our series in 1 Peter. We're still in chapter 1, but just barely. If you go back a slide real quick, Kara. You notice we're actually dipping into chapter 2 a little bit. You might think that's cheating, but when Peter wrote this letter, there was no chapter breakdowns or verse numbers. It was just one long letter, so I could do, do whatever I want. No, I'm just kidding. I, I really do think this section flows together and is one thought that Peter is trying to share with people. Today we're going to take a look at what growing up means. The whole book was written, we can go to the next slide, to help the believers walk in faith through adversity and suffering. That was what he was trying to help them do. How can you glorify God as you suffer? What does that look like? And so this is the outline a little bit about what we have been walking through. We did the introduction. We hit on the reminder of our great salvation and the great price Jesus paid to cause us to be born again and the suffering that brings us hope. And then last week, Fred started on this next section of a call to holiness. The first few weeks was a lot of like, um, what do we believe? And now it's kind of like, so now what do we do in response to that? And the main part of this whole section is that God calls us to be holy. He has made us holy, and we get to choose to walk in holiness. And Fred shared about how that's like being separated and different from the world. But it also means being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And our section today falls in that same whole category. The call to be like God and be holy. And then we'll continue on from there to talk about how to live as suffering exiles in this world all the way down. Today's topic is all about growing in Christ to be a loving person to those around you. And in reality, that is in many ways what the Bible holds up as the mark of Christian maturity. 
How well do you love those around you? It's not about what you know. It's not about how much you do. It's really about the quality that comes from your heart to the people around you in this world. So we're going to look at that here and dive into it a little bit. Let's look at our verses here today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. I'm reading out of the ESV today. I don't know if you guys brought your Bibles, but you can follow along in whatever translation you like, or the words are on the screen. So here's the thoughts for today. 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation." if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's a great passage. A great passage. And I love how it links everything together on who we are, what we're called to do, and how we're called to do it. So I've got kind of three big things here that I was thinking about that I saw in the scripture. You can take notes if you want to, or you can make up your own things that you think about, but don't do that. You came to hear me. I hope you came to hear from the Lord, but you know. So my first thought here is kind of our main thought for the day, is that loving others like Christ loves is the mark of Christian maturity. Okay? You might think other things, but I think that's what this passage is trying to help us understand. Loving others like Christ loves us is the mark of Christian maturity. And so, the more we love and the better we love, really that shows that it's the more we have grown to be like Jesus. Love itself is not the goal of, mat of being mature. Maturity is Christ-likeness. Maturity is Christ's likeness, but the love is the fruit of being like Christ. And if you don't have love, I would argue that you probably aren't very mature in Jesus. So let's read this section here again, and we're going to talk about what he's talking about here a little bit. So it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So what does, it, what does it mean here, having purified your souls? Now, I believe we aren't really good at purifying our own souls. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to kick a bad habit in your own strength of just trying to stop sinning or stop thinking in a certain way or trying to cleanse yourself of a bad behavior. Oftentimes, we try really hard and we work hard at it. We give all this effort and we fall right back to where we were. Purifying ourselves doesn't usually work. This word for purified actually, though, comes from the same root as the word for holy. It comes from the same root for holy. 
This is hagnizo, in case you're curious. comes from the word holy. It means being made holy in the heart. And I believe where he says, by obedience to the truth, what does he mean by that? This phrase, obedience to the truth, obedience shows up in the first verses of this passage. It talks about our obedience to the message of Christ. That when Christ came, he died for our sins. He says, everyone who believes in him and everyone who receives this gift of his forgiveness is made pure and switches. It's like a transaction where we trade our righteous, unrighteousness for the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus took our unrighteousness upon himself on the cross. And when we obey the truth, the reality is the biggest obedience each one of us can do is to believe that Jesus is the Messiah who died for our sins. And I believe that that's what he's talking about here, is that we have purified our souls when we obeyed the truth. You could read this as, we have been made holy when we accepted Jesus and Jesus made us pure. But the second part of that sentence, we are obedient to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. I think what he's getting at there is like when you accepted this, when you were purified, this purification was so that you can love others well. That's part of the package of coming to Jesus. We trade for his righteousness. I think we also trade for his love in our hearts for other people. And I believe that when we come to Christ, we are born again. We are made new. He uses this phrase here in a little bit. We are made new. A new person becomes alive in us, the spiritual part of ourselves. And yet it is in conflict with our old self that is still here. And the Bible talks about this frequently, about how there is a distinction between the new and the old, or the spirit and the flesh. And that these two things are at war within us, trying to make us walk in a certain way. I think Peter is setting the foundation to believers. He says, you guys have already put your hope in Jesus Christ, and by doing that have purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love, that this is who you are now. It's in you. And then the next line is a command, an encouragement. He tells them, so because this is true of you, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because you're born again, because you're pure, what's the next thing? Choose to love. Choose to love one another earnestly. I think that word earnestly is really interesting. He starts off by saying, you're born again for a sincere brotherly love. Sincere there means not faked, not pretending that you actually love people. The word for fervent means intensely, with passion and vigor. Because we have been given a not fake love for one another, live it out intensely toward each other. That's kind of crazy. I don't know if you guys have ever been loved by someone intensely. Super uncomfortable. I have a cousin who you know, who may or may not have been married this last week, who's part of this church. He's an intense lover. He is like a golden retriever puppy. He's just so excited to see you. He just wants to come up and jump up and give you a big, slobbery, kissy hug, you know? He doesn't do that. But that's his heart. It just overwhelms this intense desire to show you affection. 
And that's kind of what this word is talking about here. As believers, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, Peter's encouraging us, hey, you've been made new, now show each other that level of intense affection, a real love for one another, one that people will look at and go, that's a little extreme, don't you think? You love each other so much, don't you think you're exposing yourself to pain and hurt and sorrow by being that open, that vulnerable, that loving with each other? And the answer is, yes, we are. The love God calls us to have for one another is radical. It is extreme. It is beyond what the people of this world look at. They think it's like, why would you ever do that? I remember um, probably about 10 years ago now, there was a guy in our church. He had grown up in the streets. He was homeless for a while in the streets of Boston. He had come and joined our church, and we just tried to love on this guy. And he knew we loved him. And he regularly would take advantage of us, like constantly. This just was in his nature. He would, no matter what we did, he would try to get more out of us. But then he invited his brother to come and be around here because his brother also needed a place to live. And I remember his brother ended up living at my house for like a couple of weeks because he had nowhere else to go. He ate all our food, played all of our video games, and just like lounged around the house constantly. And I remember the first guy come up, he's like, don't you know he's taking advantage of you? And I'm like, no, he's not. I'm giving him the advantage. He can't take it if I gave it. I want to love this guy. He doesn't know Jesus. And we loved this kid. His name was Ozzy. We served him. We talked with him. And I remember one time my roommate, Dan, said, Ozzy, I, I do this because I love you. And Ozzy, just, he just froze. He's like, no one, no one in my whole life has ever told me that they love me. This is the first time in my life anyone's ever said that to me. And it left a profound impact on this kid. He's gone now. I'm not sure where he went. But I do know that he experienced an intense love that was different than what this world offers. I believe that love is in each and every one of us through the birth of Jesus, or the redemption of Jesus Christ. But the question is, what's the quality of that love in you today? What kind of love do people experience from you? Your family might experience a nice love, but maybe your grouchy neighbor doesn't get the same level of love. Maybe the guy who has hurt you, you treat them in a negative way. The reality, though, is Jesus Christ, when he was hurt, when he was persecuted, when he was sinned against, showed mercy and compassion and a willingness to forgive. That is what we are called to be like. I think the second thing we want to look at here today is that this all starts because Jesus Christ makes us be born again. The second part here, it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. What is that word of God that it's talking about there? This word, the word that makes us born again, is the good news of Jesus. The word that makes us born again is the good news about Jesus coming and dying for us. 
There's a lot of people in this world that believe in God. They believe that Jesus is God. There's people in this world that really do genuinely think they love God. But the reality is they've never obeyed the truth of the word of God. They've never understood for themselves what Jesus came to do. There's so many people in this world that attend church every week, and deep down in their hearts, they think, I need to be good in order for God to let me go to heaven. I need to be good enough. I need to love enough. I need to serve enough. I need to not sin, and then God will accept me. People like that don't understand the word of God that this is talking about, that this word is about Jesus Christ him coming and dying, and that the reality of what causes us to be born again is the imperishable seed of an exchanged life with Jesus. That when we choose, I give up trying. I'm not going to do it anymore. I am going to offer myself to you, Jesus, and I'm going to accept your free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. That is the seed of the word we obey. You're not sure you believe me? Because you're like, Tom, it doesn't say that. It just says the word of God. It's actually kind of fun. There's two words in the Greek for the word word. Two words for the word word. You guys can write that down. You can make a t-shirt if you want. Don't do that. The two words are logos and rema. I'm sure I'm butchering my Greek. Fred will talk to me later about that. Logos and rema. This word here is logos. Logos generally refers to a couple of things. One is the revealed will or knowledge of God, what God wants us to know. And oftentimes it's used in a complete sense or a complete thought. A lot of times this word for word refers to all of what had been written in scripture as being received from God. It's also the title that John uses to refer to Jesus Christ himself, that he was the word that was made flesh, the complete knowledge of God made into a person. But let's take a look at the next verse here. This is kind of fun. First Peter 1 Peter 1:24 through 25 says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Right here, Peter is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. He's quoting what he says right there. And if you guys ever see a quotation from the Old Testament and the New Testament, sometimes it's fun to go back and say, what was that from? What are they talking about? What is that context of that section? Here's the context, the immediate verses that come right before this in the book of Isaiah. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain, hill, mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Right here, this is the verse that is quoted in all four Gospels about John the Baptist being the messenger that would precede the Messiah. This is talking about a Messiah is coming. Someone's going to come before him, and they're going to be a messenger telling everyone what is coming. They're going to make, uh, prepare the way for the Lord is what it says. 
This section is not just about the word of God in general. This is specifically about the coming of a Messiah. One who is going to come and bring glory to God and all flesh was going to see it together. And the very next verses, let's go back to 1 Peter. This is the quotation of it in the New Testament. It says, For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I think Isaiah's making a point. God said he's going to send a Messiah. He's going to come, and he's going to bring glory to God. He's going to redeem the world. It's all through the Old Testament. We talked about the um, prophecies two weeks ago. And here he's saying, all flesh is like glass, grass. Everything that people do, who they are, it's going to fade. It's going to fall away. But what God says is going to remain forever. It's interesting here is that Peter writes this section in this verse. He uses the word here twice. This is the other word in the Greek for word. It's the word rhema. Rhema usually means a specific utterance, one thing that God is saying that is important for right now. I think it's interesting that he switches here. I am not some Greek scholar, so I don't know how significant this is, but what I think he is getting at is he is pointing to this and saying, just like John the Baptist came to preach Jesus Christ, you now believe the same thing John was preaching, that this Messiah has come, that the good news of Jesus Christ incarnated in this world, that is what you believe. That is what has caused you to be born again. The seed we believe that is imperishable is the seed of Jesus Christ, and that is planted in us. And so I kind of like to think about it like this. The seed starts to grow when you accept Jesus. I probably skipped our pictures, didn't we, Kara? Yeah, yeah, let's go back to those. And once it starts to grow, you get a little, little thing, a sprout. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Do you guys know what this is going to grow into? It's going to be a plant. Does anyone have a guess as to what kind of plant? Corn? Definitely not corn, but good guess. You have no idea, do you? How will you know what it's going to be? It is definitely not zucchini. That's the worst. Why would God want to plant zucchini in your life? That's horrible. Way to go, Mo. Way to go. If you were mature, you would know what it was. No. Um, you don't know. It might grow. This will grow into a tree. And the tree will have leaves. And most of you would still not know what this tree was. This is the way we are as believers. We grow. We start to leaf out. No one knows what we're going to be until we bear fruit. Let's go to the next slide here. Is there a next slide? Wasn't there a tree with apples on it? Imagine that this is full grown and that there are tons of apples on that tree. Man, I had a great picture of an apple tree. And then I had a defense for my actions because you don't actually grow apple trees from seeds, you know, but... It, look it up sometime. If you, grow, if you take an apple seed from an apple and grow it, it grows into an apple tree, but the apples it grows are completely different than whatever you planted. It's kind of a fun genetic thing from the seeds. and it's, it's, Look it up in Wikipedia later. 
So if you're growing apple trees, you almost never plant a seed and let the tree grow. You almost always graft the apples. But for the case of us today, I wanted to show you because everyone knows what an apple looks like, right? Anyway, the seed, it grows, but it's not mature until it bears fruit. Same thing with us as believers. There is a seed that is in us when we are born again. We are made, hey, that was not my tree, but it's a good looking one. Look at that. Apples, right? The seed grows in us and there's a tree. The tree is big or small, but we haven't grown up until the mature fruit grows in our life. And that mature fruit is this love that Peter is writing to us about. And so then our last section here, we've been born again and maturity looks like love then let's take a look at what he says it takes to bear fruit, this fruit of love that he talks about. I, so 1 Peter 1, 22, and then, I'm sorry, this is um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, because of this, you've been born again, and you have purified your hearts for a brotherly love. Here's what it says it takes to grow in that love. It says, so put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, a quick addendum. Many translations and most manuscripts in the Greek actually have the word, word here. Long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. The New American Standard does, the King James does, ESV doesn't. I didn't quite figure out why. But in the Greek, if you look at what was actually present there, it talks about longing for the pure spiritual milk of logos, the word of God, the entire revealed counsel of God. Peter shares here, how do we grow in love? How do we grow in an intense, fervent love for one another and for this world. And it's two things. We grow in love as we put off sin and as we drink in the word. So we put off sin and as we drink in the word. These things don't save us because we're already saved. But these things lead us to bear much fruit. So real quick, how are you doing on that first list? Can you guys even define malice? I just thought of a great, like, rock band title, Malice in Wonderland, you know? Like, I don't know. Okay, you guys file that one. That's a t-shirt for you, too. Here's what he tells them. Turn away, put away these bad things. These are things that are unlike the love of Jesus. All of us are prone to these things in our flesh, in the old self. This is how we relate to those around us without Jesus. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He says, how do you grow? First, you need to choose to put those away. When you recognize it in your life, take it, stop, set it aside. That is no longer who you are. I'll give you some quick definitions here. And as I do, I want you to think about your own life, the people in your world, the people who have hurt you, the people you don't like, the people that you're not necessarily friends with. How do you think about them? 
is this present in your life? First one, malice. Malice means harboring evil thoughts against another person. Any evil thoughts, thinking negatively toward them, being angry with them, wanting evil to fall upon them, that is malice. Second one is deceit. Deceit is any form of dishonesty or trickery. Trying to have people think differently than what reality is. Hypocrisy is somewhat similar, actually. Hypocrisy is insincerity, pretense, or sham. It's trying to have people think of you better than you really are. It's trying to make people think that you're all holy on the outside or good on the outside, but really on inside or when you're at home, you're a completely different person. (laughs) One author I was reading about this said, um, a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be spiritual on Sundays and then goes home and is as carnal as a goat on the weekdays. I love that carnal as a goat. I don't know how if goats are more carnal than any other animal, but just answer your animal of choice there. Envy. Envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by observing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of another. Feeling displeasure when someone else is doing well. I like that definition of envy because I think it points a lot of things out in my own life. And finally, slander. Slander is the assassination of character. So when you're trying to make someone else look worse so that you look better. What's interesting is this list of sins, Peter specifically points out ones that are committed against another person. They are relational sins with others. They're things we often fall into with people we don't like or people that have wronged us. And what he says is, if you want to grow to be mature, if you want to grow up in your salvation, if you want to grow to be a loving person, you need to recognize these things for what they are and choose to turn away from them. And I would say to do that, I would argue there's two things you need to do. First one is to confess. You need to confess the sins in your life if you want to grow. If you keep the wrong in you hidden... It will just always stay there. It will grow and it will fester. But if you can confess your sins, Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and help you to grow in righteousness, is what 1 John says. And in our church, we've wanted to put a high emphasis on this, of helping one another confess the sins in our lives. We have small groups in this church where that's one of the things we do, is try to obey these verses to put off these things through confession But then the second part is also repentance. Choosing to believe differently and act differently. So you have deceit in your life. You're prone to deceiving. You confess your deceit to those that you trust. Not just everybody, just the ones that are helping you hold you accountable. You confess it to God and you choose to turn and walk in truth. And the second thing he adds here, other than putting off sin, is to drink in the word. Drink in the word. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted 
that the Lord is good. I doubt any of you remember being an infant. No, nope, not, not a whole lot. Having had infants recently, and basically having infants in my house for the last seven years, I will tell you, when an infant is hungry, you know it. Have you guys ever been around a hungry, crying baby? It's horrible. Give that baby a bottle, you know? Like, let's take care of this thing. The reality is a hungry baby that isn't crying for more is an unhealthy baby. When a baby realizes no one's feeding me, they stop crying out for milk. I think we as Christians so often live a starved life, a starved life from God's word, where God, he has everything we need for life and godliness, the nourishment in his word for us to grow. And yet we don't think it's going to come from there. We've stopped longing for it. We've stopped crying out for it. And really, we're just kind of withering away in our spiritual walk. And I think the reason we have that, I love this last verse, it's kind of really interesting to me. I think the reason many people struggle to get in the word of God is this last verse. It says, we long for the pure spiritual milk, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The people in my life that have seen God be good and faithful, that deeply know God's goodness, also deeply long to be in the Word. And many of the people that I know that have struggled to be in the Word of God, to get things out of it, they're just like, it's boring, it's dry, I just don't know, like, I just don't like it. Oftentimes it's because they haven't tasted that the Lord is good, not in a practical, personal way. The reality is God is good. He's good to us all the time. He has never not been good to you. He is good. But he says here we have to taste that he is good. We have to experience that he is good. And we have to long to dig into his word. How do you do that? I think that each and every one of us, I do this frequently. I'll wake up in the morning and I don't actually want to dive into the word of God. Practically, I'd rather do a crossword puzzle or um, whatever random app. I'd rather doom scroll on something to wake up. And I don't really want to read God's word. And I have to stop and slow down and ask myself, okay, why? Why don't I want to get in the word? What is it, I believe, that is preventing me from longing for the spiritual milk? What is it that's standing in the way of me tasting that the Lord is good this morning. And as I slow down and hear what's going on in my heart, oftentimes there's things in the way. There's beliefs that are preventing me from really wanting to dig in. And I encourage you guys to do that. In our church, we really want to get every one of us in the word every day because we really believe that that will change our lives. And if you struggle to do that, next time the thought crosses your mind that I should get in the Word, stop. Take some time and think, okay, if I don't want to, if there's a reason that pops into my head or an excuse, why is that there? What reason do I have in my heart that prevents me from engaging with God's Word for myself? And I think the second thing that we need to do 
is just do it. Get in the word. You don't know what you like until you tried it. That's what I tell my kids all the time, right? And I keep making my kids eat their vegetables every day because someday they're going to discover they actually kind of like broccoli. It's going to happen, I swear. It happened for me. Not everything, but I think for all of us, the more we engage with God's word, the more we grow in our appetite for it. The more we find God in his word and see that he is good, the more we want to draw near to him in his word. And as we do that, God's word has a way of pointing out the sin in our lives, pointing out the ways where we are not really walking well with God. That's one of the promises God gave us, is his word is going to dice us up and reveal what's really going on inside. And if we really have been born again, and we really do know that God is good, then we're really going to want to know where we're not following him, so that we can confess those things and turn away and grow in love for the people around us. So as we close here today, we want to remember that God's desire for us as mature Christians is that we would love others the way Christ loved us. And that that only starts when we have been born again by the seed that is the gospel of Jesus. But in order to grow up in that, we need to grow in love as we put off sin and drink in his word. And might we do that every day? And I encourage you, if you're part of the church or joining the church or just checking us out, find a place where you can be sharing the hard things in your life, the things you're wrestling with, the sin that is holding you captive. Find a safe place to do that. And I encourage you, if you're part of our church, find a small group that you can join to be able to share these things together. And also find a place to encourage you and hold you accountable in reading the word. And that's what we do in our small groups. Confess our sin, pray together, and we read the word together. So I just want to leave that with you. God is worth it, guys. The salvation he has given us is worth it. The inheritance we have is beautiful. And the more we can live that now, the more we can be like Christ now, the more glory he's going to get in the end and the more we're just going to receive all that he has for us. So let's get out there. Let's put off our sin. Let's get in the word and let's grow in love for one another. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. God, just thank you, Lord, that you, you are our example. You came and you showed us what real love looks like. The way you interacted with people around you, the way you responded to those who persecuted you. Lord Jesus, it's challenging and humbling. God, just thank you for your grace toward us. Thank you that your word teaches us what it looks like to walk in a pure, holy life and to love one another well. And I just pray that you'd give us the courage to take a good, hard look at our own lives to recognize the places where sin is still clinging closely, to put those things off and to put on your righteousness in Jesus, to walk in the truth and to long for your word. Just bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.